0: Welcome to The Writer's Edge, a podcast exploring writing across the disciplines, from the arts to the sciences, and everything in between. We're coming to you from Shark Tank Number 2 in the NSU Writing and Communication Center on the fourth floor of the Alvin Sherman Library in Davie, Florida. Today, we're talking with Professor Jessica Minez Cayado, a faculty member with the NSU Department of Communication, Media, and the Arts in the Homeless College of Arts and Sciences. And we're talking with her about the art of composing and performing music. Jessica, welcome and thank you for talking with us.
1: Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the ask for being on the podcast and uh, I look forward to chatting with you.
0: Excellent. So first just tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what's your background and what do you do here at NSU?
1: So I teach uh, music production and commercial music composition here at NSU along with other courses like Music World Cultures and Music Business. But when I'm not in the classroom, I'm a media composer and what that is is someone who writes music for podcasts, for film, for television, just any form of media nowadays. I mean, before I could associate myself as a film composer, but media and opportunities for writing for media have just greatly expanded. So I just consider myself a media composer.
0: The media available to communicators has just grown exponentially, all the different channels you can distribute in. You said you kind of started in film? Is that your home media, if you will?
1: I started in television and I was working with a music supervisor in New York and the TV show was for Mundo Fox, which is the Spanish arm of the entire Fox network and the company that was filming, the production company was out in California. And the producers of the show were uh, Oscar De La Hoya, a boxer, Mm -hmm. and Mario Lopez. So that was pretty cool. So I worked with mostly composing tracks for an entire TV season of a show. And then that segued into a part of my life where I did more film work. And then now I got back into television. And then now I've gotten into more social media work. So it's kind of evolving.
0: You just said that you're a composer and that you write music. Are those the kind of terms you're comfortable with? Like, would you, do you think of yourself as a writer, as we might say in the Writing Communication Center, as a communicator, as a composer, performer, and even with your work in television, are those the kind of labels they use for you, the kind of job titles that you're given?
1: It's, it's all pretty fluid. I know in, in television, you know, you could get attached as a composer, uh, but I've also been identified as a producer and that's kind of a role I've been in now, more of a music producer. So it varies. You know, I've had a stage in my life where it was you were the composer and then you are the producer now, or now you're the sound designer. It just goes in and out. But I think we all know as composers, when someone addresses us like, oh, you wrote the music for this, you know, so you're a writer, just like being a songwriter, you know, is a common term we get sometimes. So, yeah, it's all pretty fluid.
0: Kind of reminds me of what it's like for writers nowadays who are often now designers and entrepreneurs and take on a bunch of different roles in different projects. Right. Can you tell us a little bit just about the process for writing music? And I know that's a very broad question, so feel free to take it in whatever direction you want. But certainly we we try to teach students a process for writing that we think leads to good products, to good writing. So do you have a, a process you engage with or even a process that you try to teach?
1: One of the first things I'd like to address to students who want to pursue a career in composition for media is working on very short deadlines. Usually we get as composers we will get projects that come across, you know, my email and I'll have like 36 hours to do it. Jessica, we need this track in 36 hours well. <laughs> to pitch to Google <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> and it's like, oh, my gosh. Uh, so. If a student can become comfortable working in tight deadlines is usually the first step, if this is a field they want to go into. And so I always try to start there. It's like, you have to be comfortable with being under a very stressful environment for a short amount of time. And challenge a creative part of your process very quickly. And there's other areas where you get longer time to, to work on a project. And that's always great because you can um, dig deeper a little more, but either direction that you go as a composer, you get something called a creative brief. And what that is, is we are given direction from either the advertising agency or the director, the filmmaker. And they're kind of telling us what they're looking for through the music. With media, it's more like this is between two characters and I'll give you an example, right? So the theme for the The Writer's Edge podcast, we were just talking Mm -hmm. about it, that it was used for the QEP video. And I remember meeting with Professor Dvorak. And I said, what, what are some terms can you use to describe, you know, that that you want for this project? And he said, playfully sophisticated. He didn't give me musical direction. Uh, He didn't say, I want these instruments. I want it to be in a major key or I want it to be mine. He said, playfully sophisticated. And I said, that is such great direction. I could work with that. And, And it's my job to bring out this feeling of playful sophistication. and. That's usually kind of how we work. We get a lot of descriptive language and with a film, you get the same type of descriptive language, but it's going to vary a lot more because your story's evolving over a longer period of time than a 30 second commercial. I don't know if, if that makes sense.
0: No, no, it definitely does. And I do a little bit of graphic design work, and it seems like a similar, you know, kind of give me those words that evoke your brand, you know, mm-hmm. or that you really want to see this logo embody. So I, I can definitely see how that would be helpful. For some of that work you're talking about with like the commercials, you know, even TV or film, like, do you actually get to see any of the rough footage or cuts like do you have to kind of fit to a certain time frame, you know, a certain scene and kind of have it or do they adjust to you after they hear the music?
1: It depends. I have worked on a project that I was able to see the rough cut of the commercial, which was pretty cool to watch, you know, how how to show it with like the CGI that went into the commercial, you know, in its bare, bare form, and then you see the final product. Uh, So sometimes that works that way. And then other times, no, I don't get to see the commercial. You're just given that language and the other thing is, yes, it's, it's about representing the brand, but it's also who is the audience and who's the consumer and write in a way that's going to attract that particular consumer to the product. So, it, again, it varies with the projects.
0: I don't even know if this language applies, but just because you said that, do you feel, you know, do you think of your music as kind of being persuasive, like having a kind of a very defined purpose?
1: It's funny you say that because we could think that to be persuasive, but I I try and tell my students, I go, your goal is to dance with the picture. That was some great metaphor that was given to me when I was a student. And it's like, you are coming along and you are dancing with it. It is not your vision. It is not your idea. It's not your project, right? You are coming along to assist it. So just always keep that in mind. It's not about you, it's about the whole goal. But if you were to do a documentary, you actually kind of want to avoid being too persuasive because usually documentaries are designed to just bring a, an awareness or a perspective to something. And if, if you compose in a way that creates too much of a protagonist antagonist in the music, then what you can do is you're leading the, the viewer to believe, or, or have a bias because the music is kind of guiding them. And so you don't want to do that. You want to create kind of a neutral tone still supportive to the imagery, but not too much where now you are leading the viewer to think one way about something.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. You're trying to be evocative to increase engagement you know, with the media, mm-hmm. but not necessarily kind of overpower or, or add a different message.
1: Mm-hmm. You're taking a supportive role.
0: Yeah. yeah. Thinking of that support role, like you mentioned a few people you kind of work with where they give you information. like. You know, do you typically compose alone or do you collaborate? Is that, you know, are there very different processes working with different musicians? I do both.
1: I did uh, the most recent media project I did. I was a co-composer on it for Univision. And I've done projects by myself. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoy doing with students or the theater productions that take place, for example, at NSU, uh, sometimes they want original music to kind of fit in between the scenes or if there's a scene change and there's a blackout for like 20 seconds you know we want to try and fill it in with music mm-hmm. so it's a great opportunity for students to get that experience of writing in very very short time frames but still supporting either what we just saw on stage or prepping the scene emotionally for what's to come and and it's you got a, about 10 seconds to do that even though there's 20 seconds happening in a change on stage, but really you want to be able to reach that point of emotion, like in the half that time. Also, just in case they move the stage equipment, you know, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And now you have a less amount of time, you don't want to be like mid melody and the sound designer, you know, just cuts out,
0: you know, your idea. I can definitely imagine there's a lot of what in rhetoric we would call kairos, like thinking about timeliness and kind of fitting into a certain kind of time and yeah, you know, being kind of flexible within that moment
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: here's something I kind of basically I have not actually even asked you right like what uh, instruments do you consider your sort of main instruments and does that affect how you compose
1: I'm a percussionist so uh, my undergraduate work was actually percussion performance I thought that I wanted to be a performer my entire life and then I found myself as an undergraduate student being in the practice room, and I'm supposed to be learning my my materials for either lessons or for ensemble, and then I realized that my mind would start wandering and say, well, you know, the composer went this way, but what happens if they went to this chord and did this? And so then I start kind of, you know, making my own compositions. And then that's kind of when I realized that I wanted to pursue composition as as a career. And I did that as in my graduate work. but. As how it fits into my composition, I'm driven by rhythm. That's usually the first thing that I kind of go to when when I'm writing something, but that doesn't necessarily mean I use excessive percussion in my music. I've made projects with absolutely no percussion whatsoever, but the rhythm is there. Either through an instrument, it kind of has this driving idea and there's a lot of composers kind of been inspirations for me to write in that way where it's don't always default to percussion, but you could still put your main idea of what you want percussively in another instrument.
0: I have found it really interesting and I'll say like uh, my first public performance on a musical instrument was on the bongos <laughs> <laughs> at Catholic mass, obviously not a big deal, but I moved on to bass guitar. And so, you know, in the various bands I played in Grail, like the drummer and I were always being together. Right. So yes. I felt like I paid a lot of attention to the percussion, but you talked about inspiration and who were some of those inspirations that you just mentioned?
1: Oh, well, Sheila E, number one, that that was hands down um, a big, big influence for me being a female percussionist, a drummer and like amazing at it. In fact, she she performed at the Academy Awards this past weekend. So it was cool to see her performing live again. But that was a big influence just on a performing aspect. I, I'm a big fan of David Garibaldi and his methods and his approach to to funk drumming. He's a drummer for a, a band called Tower of Power which came out in like the 70s, but they're still around today touring, and he's just amazing. I would use um, some of my drum set students that would take lessons with me at NSU. I would say, okay, we're gonna pull some exercises out of his his approach to funk. And they're always like, my gosh, these rhythms are so complicated. I go, I know, it's awesome. (laughs) But as for composers, that list can go on and on. There's a genre of music and more classical contemporary music called minimalism you know, you would think of kind of scarce when you hear minimalism, but it's actually very, um, almost trans like not electronic trance, but it's very repetitive in its rhythms. So it has its own driving elements. And, uh, there's a composer named Steve Reich, who actually is a percussionist, but a very, very successful, uh, contemporary composer in the field of just minimalism and, you know, the new world symphonies played his music. I mean, everybody plays his music. It's just, he's incredible. But again, he was one of the inspirations where I knew by listening to his music, I would say, oh, my gosh, he's using these percussion rudiments like on the violins like that's cool. I got to I got to I got to, you know, use that. And so he would definitely take what he's learned as a percussionist and put it into other instruments in the ensemble. And so that was very inspiring. And then just listening to a ton of film scores and film composers and that whole world of composition is just there's just there's just a lot. (laughs) I can go on and on just about the music Mm. and the inspiration.
0: (laughs) I think that's good to hear because I think, you know, some of those figures like Sheila E. are very public and some of them are more behind the Mm -hmm. scenes, might be doing more studio work Mm -hmm. and it might not be as accessible to people, but to kind of hear their names and such. Like we're playing bass guitar. Like my idol was Jaco Pastorius, uh, who's just probably the best studio bassist in the world and actually went to BCC down right across the street from NSU. He's great. (laughs) Talking about inspiration, I think it's good just because I I think it shows that there's a lot of depth to what musicians, professors do in regards to music. Like it isn't just surface or popular even, you know, it's really about like the learning and the research and all the Mm -hmm. process that goes into developing these skills and and performing.
1: And if I can just piggyback on that one more time, um, one of the things I I try and point out to um, students is the more you understand culture, the more creative you can become. And I say that because a lot of students, they like hip hop. And so they listen to, to these hip hop artists and you hear these rhythms. And then when you ask them, like, who came up with that rhythm? And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, that, that was a, um, you know, Kanye did that or his ghostwriter. And I'm like, are you sure? You know, and then you show them, I'll give you an example. There's a Colombian singer. Her name is Toto La Montesina her rhythms, it's very, very organic. It's like more of the northern region of Colombia. So it has a lot of Afro Caribbean influences in her music, a lot of drumming, and she's been sampled in hip hop over 400 times. And no one will ever know her unless you follow that Latin music realm, but even deeper (laughs) into the Latin music, like you were saying some people who are behind the scenes.
0: Those sort of collaborations, those cross-cultural influences, do you feel like the last few years with there being a lot of collaboration online due to the pandemic, has that increased or become more visible? Do you see more of that nowadays?
1: I'm seeing more of that cross-cultural collaboration. I don't know specifically the data with regarding how the pandemic influenced. I'm pretty sure more collaborations came out of that, which would also support the idea that music technology and technology overall has come such a long way, especially with live streaming concerts. I know there has been an uptick in live streaming concerts for singer-songwriters. They've had greater opportunities to share their music with the whole world. But the collaborations, yes, I mean, we can just look at an artist like Bad Bunny, you know, even if you never listen to his music, but you know, he's probably the number one reggaeton artist today. I mean, he's coming to Miami for three days because that's how good and, and they know, <laughs> His whole record label and the whole production team knows like we're going to make a lot of money in Miami. But and his tickets go for close to a thousand dollars. But he collaborated with Drake and just recently Jay Balvin, another Latin artist, uh, collaborated with Ed Sheeran. And uh, so we're definitely seeing just this cross culture, cross collaboration happening. You know, you can even see it with Little Nas X. When he did Old Town Road, he did it with Billy Ray Cyrus.
0: We often think of all this work that you're talking about, this collaborative work leading to music that could be distributed digitally. Can you talk about how digital your composing process is, especially with percussion, do you create those rhythms digitally first?
1: It depends on the project. I also work as just a freelance drummer, so I've had composers reach out and who are not percussionists or drummers, and they'll say, Jessica, can you lay down a drum track on this? And so it's easier for me to actually Uh, I have a Roland drum kit in my studio and I can connect up to eight channels, each drum practically into my interface and record right into it in one shot. And then I can go and individually mix and edit what I need and then send it off. For me, that's easier to do that than creating like with my fingers and trying to do everything like like that. But uh, again, it also depends on the genre. If you want more of an authentic sound, for me, I go to my drum kit. If I want more of a synthy kind of future funk or you know EDM sound, then I go to my drum machines and I have a few different fun electronic gear in my studio that help me do that.
0: I think part of being a good instructor is to sort of be connected to those technologies, to new ways of producing music. But I certainly get that you know, sometimes it's easier to go analog and just kind of create a certain sound or to get a certain rhythm beat. There's a lot of complexity to a lot of instruments that aren't captured quite as well with digital tools. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned the word genre. Yeah, you know, How important is that concept to you as a composer you know, to, to kind of compose in certain genres of music? Um, are there genres you're very familiar with or enjoy or find particularly challenging?
1: Yes, as a composer, especially in media, you're going to have your niche. If I get a project that comes along and says, hey, we want you to do an entire score Americana folk, I would probably say, can I bring on a collaborator? And if they say sure, then or they'll say, hey, it's, it's coming out of your budget. And if I really want the project, then I'll say, sure, I'll do it. Um, I would bring on within my network, a singer songwriter and composers who are very good in that area and then we'll collaborate together because that is not an area that i write in often enough to really address the the expertise of approaching that i'm not a guitarist i can guide a guitarist but i am not a guitarist so i would want to bring a guitarist on board to come in and actually create the nice sound that goes along with americana folk Mm -hmm. now if somebody said jessica we want you to write you know a latin score or Latin urban sounds, I'd be like, hands down, let's do it. No problem. That's more on the commercial music sense. If we uh, talk about film, you know, you kind of want a little bit of diversity with that. Cause you're kind of scoring to an emotion. So, you know, I've worked on drama before I've worked in horror, which was actually pretty fun. Um, I've worked in comedy, which I actually found to be one of the more difficult genres to score in because comedy, if you go too, too funny with the score, especially if it's like an adult comedy, then what you're doing is you're kind of making it too cartoonish, what we call Mickey Mousing, if you're scoring every gesture, and then you're kind of taken away from the film, it becomes distracting. So finding like the right tone for comedy, it's one of those things where Um, It was a good learning experience for me, but yeah, it it varies, you you know, but you want to have your strengths where, you know, people can, can go to like, if people reach out to me, it's majority is because they know I can write in the Latin music genre Hmm. and they, I could do that and I can do urban and kind of been going through this whole like new disco future funk phase with synths. So that's fun, just adding another layer of genres to my portfolio, which is great. But yeah, it varies. And, and Spotify now, I, I think they said there's like just last year alone, uh, a thousand new genres were added to Spotify.
0: Well,
1: One of them was Vegan Rock, which I thought was interesting. Vegan
0: Rock. I'll have to check vegan that out. Rock. Yeah. And I think you just alluded to this a bit in thinking about working with genres you're less familiar with. I think that people in college, you know, students especially, kind of assume that research is like secondary research. You know, you go and you read it out of academic journals, but I think professionals do really a range of primary research, you know, qualitative, quantitative, where they, they do their own research. They're not just looking at previously published scholarship. But I, think, I, I think that's the kind of research I associate more with professionals in performing fields. And I guess, could you talk a little bit about the kinds of research that go into the projects you do?
1: Going back into orchestration or just score study, So in my office, I have like books of just scores of music. I can give you an example, not the score from the film, Romeo and Juliet, but the actual classical composition for orchestra of Romeo and Juliet. You know, there's the fight scene that happens and you can hear the tension and the action happening in that score. And then if you get a film project where now you have to go and approach it, okay, it's a fight scene you know, but maybe it's a period piece, something happening with like two swordsmen and they're having a fight It was like, okay, well, let me see how composers did it in the past and approach it and bring it in. So it's also knowing your, your music history helps a long way in the sense of composition. Now, as a, just a music industry in general, it's always evolving. So your research may not always come from a journal because by the time that journal publication comes out, something new just came out. It's being in those environments that are constantly keeping you informed. So I'm a part of a lot of like composer guilds and music organizations, and just really want to see what is happening in the industry today. What do we need to be aware of? And as a program in general, we want to be ahead of the wave because by the time we approach the wave, like the wave already crashed, another one is already going like, We can't be behind it, we have to be ahead of it to really have that edge to get sustainable careers in the music industry. So I think with music and modern day, like just commercial music in general, it's yes, you can go and and reference journals. That's great, but it's important to see what is happening right now. I got an email this morning about like the Music Modernization Act, trying to push forward like more rights. and and payment for singer-songwriters and stuff. I go, that's not written in a journal because it's just happening now. It's happening as we go.
0: I think that really brings to attention the fact that doing research as a professor is really about being an active member of a discourse community. Mm -hmm. And so professionals have a bunch of different opportunities for participating in their community. Journals are just one method of doing that, participating by sort of writing things that people read later. you know, there are many different forms of that kind of professional uh, community mm-hmm. engagement. So I'm glad you went that way to the community because that's, you know, because that's why we publish scholarship is really right. just to engage with and move things forward you know, in a certain community. Right. And I know you recently become a voting member of one of those communities of the Recording Academy. So congratulations. So can you tell us how that happens and what membership entails?
1: Yes, thank you. So I've been a a member of the Recording Academy for some time now, um, but to reach voting level status, you have to have just a very active portfolio in the music industry. And you know, I I just reached that point where I felt comfortable of submitting for my status for for voting membership and it was accepted. So I was uh, very excited about that. I got to vote uh, during these last Grammys, uh, which I believe are this weekend, by the way, you can check them out. Now as a voting member, I have a new perspective on the process, being able to see what goes into it as a voting member. Uh, What's great is you could see that the the Recording Academy is really trying to bring a little bit younger crowd, uh, just kind of create more of a balance and diversity with their members to get better representation across the board. So they're really trying to do that and I I commend them for that. But those are those things that once you are, you know, like you were saying earlier, it's being part of that community and getting in there that you really start noticing, you know, what needs to be changed or what changes are in the process. And then that way, you know, I can bring that knowledge back to my students and to the program and trying to, you know, work things around that way. But yes, it's very exciting and I look forward to seeing uh, who finally won this weekend.
0: I think those types of award shows, which you know, are sometimes heavily viewed and sometimes not depending on the kind of stars in the films or the you know, music, I still think they're an important aspect of being a professional and kind of recognizing the work that people do and just bringing it to people's attention.
1: Right. And the Recording Academy is not just about the Grammys. Um, it, it really offers opportunities for networking, for growing as a musician, as an artist. I'm the faculty advisor at NSU for Grammy U. And that was actually brought to me by a former NSU grad, well, an NSU grad, so an alum. Um, She said uh, this was this was years ago. She goes, you know, I I want to be a part of the, the recording academy, the student branch of it but we need a faculty advisor. And I was like, tell me more about it. Now I was already a Recording Academy member, but I'd never heard of Grammy U. And when she explained it to me, I said, sure, I'd love to be a faculty advisor for that. And it's great because being part of Grammy U as a student, you can, let's say you're a first year student, you can pay for a one-time fee membership, and then you get six years membership just from that one payment. So that's your four years of undergrad plus two after, whether you go to grad school or not you're still attached to the Recording Academy and you can go to, again, networking events, you have internship opportunities. Uh, There's something called sound checks, which are opportunities where students can actually meet with a touring artist that's coming into town. So we had, in the past, Logic came into town and went to Revolution down in Fort Lauderdale and 200 Grammy U students were able to go and meet with Logic. And he got to talk with them. Uh, before that, Justin Timberlake needed like 10 backup singers for just a sound check there. And the people who got notified first were Grammy U students. One of those hurry up and sign up to, to be a part of the sound check. And yeah, 10 students got selected to go and actually go to Justin Timberlake's rehearsal and then they got tickets to the show. You know, so it really is a good place to meet other like-minded musicians. And not only people who want to be professional musicians, but people who just want to work in the music industry. So that student who really started this process is now working full-time at the Recording Academy. So I thought that was great to see her evolution uh, to where she's at now.
0: No, that is great. And it sounds like a lot of mm-hmm. real amazing opportunities. And I guess to think about this you know, student involvement in music at NSU, you know, can you give us like a, a list, I guess, of all the ensembles here at NSU? And, You know, how do students get involved and, you know, even do you have to be a music major to participate?
1: No, you don't have to be a music major to participate in our ensembles. If you want to be a part of ensembles, I like students to at least sign up for the ensemble course. MUSC 3301 is Ensemble 1. And you get credit for it as an elective if you need it. And you can play in, you know, the Mako band. We've had... Um, In the past, uh, the Pistris ensemble, we've had, you know, smaller ensembles that have gone together. Obviously, you know, the pandemic kind of shook things up a bit. We're still trying to get our footing back, but yes, you you can definitely be a part of it. um, If you play an instrument or you're a vocalist or just want to be involved in some capacity, you know, with music ensembles, you can definitely be a part of that. And then we have the NSU Drumline, which is fairly new. It started up in 2019, so. That's contrary to popular belief. You do not need drumming experience to audition for the drum line. majority of the members don't have any. I think this year I can say only two members actually have prior high school drum line experience. So everyone else does not. And we're always open to people coming in and say, Hey, you know, I want to be part of the drum line. So this is good that it's on the podcast <laughs> that you asked that question because we're trying to spread the word out. It's like. Come on, try out for (laughs) drumline.
0: I know you said that the pandemic has sort of changed things and I wonder to what degree live performance is just important to you think students' developments as musicians, even to just getting interested in, you know, sort of music as a career, like, or even just, has it been important to you? Like, like how important is returning to live performance?
1: I think it's one of those elements that in music that it would just never go away, no matter, I mean, it took a pause. But it, it'll never go away. I mean, it's, it's coming back now. I, I was able to go to my first live concert back in February. And I was just, I think that was the most relaxed I felt in a long time. <laughs> just because it, it was amazing to be back in an environment where you're getting this, this just experience live and you feel it and you feel the energy in the arena. And it was just, um, yeah, let's just say the minute Florida started opening up concerts, venues and stuff, emails started growing from Ticketmaster of like, this artist is coming, this artist is coming. It's like, yes, this is all a good sign. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that it's, it's coming back. As for the importance of performance and knowing, you know, being part of that, it is important, but there are students that I have that don't have that traditional performance experience. Their instrument is more computer-based. And they don't have that traditional uh, background of playing an instrument in an ensemble, so it's now creating an environment for them where they're comfortable, but still being challenged to perform on their electronic instrument, which is different approach than playing with like a band with a drum set and guitars and strings and horns and stuff like that. So it's important, but I, I guess what I'm saying is I'd want people to understand that this is a very, very common trend now of technology being the instrument, the faders and knobs being the instrument, and that this should have kind of that same respect that we give traditional musical instruments, because we can see it nowadays. And I'm not talking about just DJing. That's great. I have a lot of students who are very involved with DJing, and they're actually doing very well on social media and touring and signed to record labels, and it's fantastic. But you know, there's there's other forms of computer music out there that I think when people th- sometimes conversation I've had with people who don't understand it, they just don't respect it the same way. And I'm I'm trying to explain to them that it is a music creator. Just like when you pick up a violin and you start playing it, you are creating music on your violin. It is a music creator. So regardless of the instrument and how it looks, and maybe we're not used to it, it, it still does the same thing. It creates music and uh, with the goal of creating, you know, a response from the listener, if that makes sense.
0: Definitely. So are there any performances or events coming up soon that we should let our listeners know about or just things that happen yearly at NSU that they should be on the lookout for?
1: Yes. I mean, we have, I think, across the department, there's always something going on. Um, So just non-music events. We do have, um, you know, the art gallery exhibitions. We have dance productions that happened, uh, that there's a dance production happening, um, now in April. We also have musicals and straight plays that take place. And then we have a music concert in the fall and a music concert in the spring. Um, ours is this year, we're taking a different approach to really kind of highlight both worlds, um, students who are, um, their instrument is some sort of electronic or technology based instrument, like a laptop and then students who play traditional instruments. So we're having a songwriter showcase on April 7th at 7.30 p.m. It's open to all and it's in the performance theater in the UC. It is a free event, so we encourage everyone to come and we're just gonna have a good time listening to music. And most of the work is original. I would say it's it's original compositions and original arrangements of existing compositions. So what's common sometimes is you go to a publisher, you buy sheet music of an arrangement of a song, and then you play it off the paper. No, this is all done by the students. They are creating these arrangements and, or original works. So, um, and it's very collaborative process as well. So I'm excited to see how, how this goes, because this is uh, very different from what we've done in the past at NSU.
0: I definitely look forward to checking that out. All right. So it has just been really fascinating talking to you. Just thank you for talking with us. And uh, we hope to hear more from you and NSU students in the future.
1: Thank you so much, Eric. It's been a great time chatting with you too.
0: We thank you all for tuning in to this episode of The Writer's Edge. And we hope you tune in next time. You can submit your own podcast to be featured on ours. And you can even submit your own stories about the Writing Center or any questions that you may have. If you'd like more information about the Writing Center itself, visit our website at nova.edu forward slash WCC. You can also reach out to us at wcc at nova.edu or 954-262-4644. Thank you again for tuning into The Writer's Edge, and we'll be back on your airwaves real soon.